Today I am continuing to teach on what I have called observing all things. And this is all based on what Jesus commanded us to do in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Most translations say, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The Lord told us to make disciples, and specifically in verse 20, He says, teaching them to observe all things. And so what I'm doing now is talking about what are some of those all things. And let me just be honest and say that I'm not going to be able to cover all things in just this brief series uh, but we're going to hit on some social issues that I believe the church has strayed away from because they're controversial, because we have a lot of people in our churches that would be offended. There is a spirit of antichrist in the world today. And I know that might be even saying that that offends some people because they just, they don't believe that there's these spiritual dynamics going on between God and the devil. They don't believe in demons, or if they do believe in demons... They believe they're all in some, you know, remote area of the world among unsophisticated people. But I'm telling you, if you, if you read the Bible, man, Jesus dealt with demons in people, in sickness, in disease, in a lot of different things. There are demonic things going on. And specifically, the scripture talks about that there is a spirit of Antichrist. And the secular world today is just promoting values that are against everything that God is for. And if you counter that, if you speak out on any of these things that are traditional morality views, the views that the United States of America was founded on and that our founding fathers promoted, if you hold to any of those viewpoints today, I guarantee you, you will be criticized. You will be persecuted. And I know that there's going to be people upset but one of the reasons that things have gone the way that they have is because the church hasn't preached on these social issues. We haven't taken a stand. And in the vacuum of the church not taking a stand, well, then the ungodly people, the people that don't know the Lord, have promoted their agenda. And today, I guarantee you, it's hostile towards a biblical worldview, a biblical standard of morality. And so at the risk of offending people and stuff, I'm just doing what Jesus told us to do. He said to teach them to observe all things. And then today I want to start talking about what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. And I know that for, you know, if, if today, if anybody opposes homosexuality, immediately the homosexual crowd will brand you as a hate monger and and they will be vicious. I mean, I have had some very, very vicious things spoken about me, and they say that you're full of hate and all of this, and yet I'm telling you up front, I've had friends who struggled with homosexuality, and I haven't unfriended them. I'm still friendly with them. I've worked with them. I've helped people. I'm not against anybody. I love homosexuals. I hate the sin of homosexuality because it's damaging. And I'm going to give a lot of stats. I'll give a lot of scriptures that will show this. I am not mean-spirited. I'm operating in love by saying these things. As you see how damaging homosexuality is, if a person wasn't already prejudiced and biased, 
And if they didn't already have this spirit of antichrist that just is against anything that is scriptural, they are going to, they're letting uh, society dominate them more than the word. If a person was truly objective and you look not only at scripture, but I'm going to be using stats, statistics that will show you some of the damaging, terrible uh, effects of homosexuality. If a person was truly objective, they would have to sit there and say that this is a damaging lifestyle. And that's the reason I'm saying these things is because I love homosexuals. I want to see them delivered. They, this is not a good thing for them nor for our society. You know, the scripture says that you can know a true disciple by his love one for another out of John chapter 13. And I'm saying these things out of love. And if you would listen and open up your heart, I believe you'll see this. Let me also say this right before I get into these scriptures that I really struggle to understand how a person who is a committed Christian can advocate and promote homosexuality. Now, I can understand how you could be compassionate towards homosexuals. I understand how you could reach out to them and show them love and things like that. No problem there. But to actually uh, support it and promote it and to teach against or come against anybody who would take a stand for what the Bible has to say, I do not understand how a committed Christian can do that. And the only way that I have any understanding of this is to say that people could love the Lord, they could be born again and truly have a relationship with God. If they were to die, they would go to heaven. But they do not love the Word of God. They, do, they are not committed to the Word of God because the Word of God absolutely 100% teaches that homosexuality is a sin, it's an abomination, it's a perversion, it is not accepted in Scripture. And so therefore, any person who claims to be a Christian who accepts and promotes homosexuality is against the Word of God. And the only way I can understand that they could do that is that they just do not really let the Word of God get in the way of what they believe. And you know what? I'm not going to be able to change all of those people. But if you claim to be a Christian and if you claim to believe that the Bible is the truth and the Word of God and that we're supposed to live our life by it, I want to show you what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. Not only the Old Covenant, but also the New Covenant. And if you claim to be a Bible-believing Christian, then I do not see how you can take any stand that promotes, sanctions homosexuality. It is a sin and it's destructive. It destroys individuals and it destroys society. You know, let me just start in Genesis 1:27. In the very beginning, the first chapter of the Bible, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now, this is just subtle, and it's really simple. Some people would think, what does that have to do with homosexuality? God created us, male and female. In the fifth chapter, He blessed this union of male and female and told them to be productive and to have children and to replenish the earth. God blessed a union between a man and a woman. It's just that simple. You know, I'm not going to go into a a long explanation on this, but you can't have children in a homosexual relationship. And uh, God didn't create mankind to function this way. It's just so obvious. 
But there's some people that, you know, if God doesn't just expressly say, don't do this, well, then they're going to go ahead and take any liberty unless there's some kind of a law, some kind of a wall that they have to climb over. Well, let me show you some of the scriptures that forbid homosexuality. In Genesis chapter 19, of course, this is, this is a classic example. For people who believe the Word of God, you wouldn't have to look any further than this. This is where God came down and sent two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah to check it out and to see if it was as pagan, as ungodly, as given over to homosexuality, bestiality, and as the reports were. And so it says in Genesis chapter 19, verse 4, these two angels entered into the house of Lot, who was a godly person living in Sodom. And he saw these angels and he wanted to protect them, so he brought them into his home. And in Genesis 19, 4, it says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. The point that's being made here was this wasn't an isolated thing, that just a few people had done this. But I mean the whole city, young and old, from every quarter, it just wasn't on the wrong side of the tracks. It was just permeated all throughout this entire culture. The people came from every quarter. And in verse 5 it says, And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which are come into thee this night? Bring them out to us that we may know them. You know, in the King James here, some people might miss that, but this know is talking about sexual relationships, in intimacy. For instance, in Genesis chapter 5, it says, Adam knew his wife Eve and that she conceived and bare a son. And this word know is used to describe the sexual relationship between a man and a woman uh, all throughout the Bible. The NIV translation of Genesis chapter 19 verse 5 uh, says, Bring them out to us that we can have sex with them. And that's exactly what this is talking about. And so because of this, these angels actually smote all of these people that were at the door of Lot's house with blindness. And they just went around groping. They couldn't see anything. And then the angels grabbed Lot and his wife and his two daughters by the hand because he was merciful unto them. Because it says over in James that Lot was a righteous man. And, but he was living in this ungodly place and it vexed his soul. But the Lord was merciful to him, grabbed Lot and his family, and brought them out. And then fire and brimstone rained down from heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed all of these people. So for anybody who believes the Bible, this is quite a visual example of what God thinks of homosexuality. It is a sin, it's an abomination, it is not pleasing to God, and God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah stands for a testament about what He thinks about homosexuality. Here's another verse in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. It says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. And an abomination means it's something that He hates. Again, God loves people who have been trapped and deceived into this homosexual lifestyle. If you are into that lifestyle, God doesn't hate you. I don't hate you. God loves you. And by me telling you the truth, this isn't hating you. I'm trying to set you free. This is a destructive lifestyle. It's an abomination to God. God hates it because this is not the way that He made people to be. 
In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, it says, If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. I tell you, for anybody who believes the Bible, this ought to settle whether or not God allows and promotes homosexuality or not. It is an abomination, and under the Old Covenant, they were supposed to be killed. Now, the opponents of biblical morality, people who stand up for a man and a woman being married, the people who oppose that will take a scripture like this, and then they'll come down and they'll say, so you want to kill all homosexuals. No, I don't. And the New Testament doesn't teach killing people for these things. It's not that the sin has changed. It's still wrong. But under the New Covenant, Jesus paid for our sins. And today we live under grace and God is extending grace towards people who are homosexuals. He's not mad. He loves them. He wants to change their life and set them free. But it's still wrong. And let me just point out some other things that are really obvious, I think. Over here in uh, Exodus chapter 24, verse 17, Leviticus 29, Proverbs 20, 20, Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21. I'm not going to take time to read all of those, but these are scriptures that talk about a rebellious child. Under the law of Moses, if you had a rebellious child and once you had chastened him and he refused to obey, if he was a drunkard, and a glutton, you had to bring him before the elders of the city, and if the elders of the city agreed with your assessment, they were supposed to put him to death. Now see, some people take this and say, so man, the Bible, how in the world would we ever live? They look at this as being totally barbaric. They look at this and say, so you're a Bible believer, you're advocating killing your children if they're stubborn and rebellious, if they're a drunkard or a glutton? No, because under the New Testament, you know, let me read this verse to you out of Acts chapter uh, 13 and verse 39. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's preaching to a Jewish audience, and he's talking about how Jesus changed everything, and instead of this wrath and punishment coming, there is mercy and grace. And he said this in Acts chapter 13 and uh, verse 38, he says, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, talking about Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. See, Paul is making a very clear distinction. Under the new covenant, you can be cleansed. The reason that there was such harsh punishment and treatment against these things in the Old Testament is be, and this is going to be offensive to a lot of people, but it's because a lot of people don't believe the Bible. I'm not apologizing for believing the Bible, but in the New Covenant, you see that Jesus dealt with demons everywhere, attitudes of people's sicknesses. There was all kinds of demonic things. Not everything is a demon, but there are many things that are controlled and promoted uh, by demonic activity. In our sophisticated world today, there's a lot of people that think, man, you are so out of touch. But I'm telling you, there's still plenty of demon activity. And rebellion was a demonic thing. And this is the reason it said that if the child would not respond to correction and if they were a drunkard and a glutton, that you were supposed to kill them. It was because they were given over to demonic things. And in the Old Covenant, 
People couldn't be born again. They couldn't have their nature changed. Once they were infected with this demonic stuff, it was like a cancer that was going to destroy the entire society if they didn't deal with it. And so they had, they had harsh punishments under the Old Covenant. Now in the New Covenant, Jesus has set people free. People can be born again today. You can have this demonic nature, this, this old sinful nature taken out of you. Anything can be forgiven. Any dominion, any stronghold that Satan can put forth today can be broken through faith in the Lord. And because of that, we don't kill our stubborn and rebellious children today. We extend mercy towards them and we continue to love them and believe for a, a godly intervention. In the New Covenant, you don't kill homosexuals, even though uh, Leviticus chapter 20 said that they should be killed. It's because under Jesus, we can now be forgiven. But prior to the New Covenant, before the time that Jesus could change a person's heart, uh, homosexuality is a demonic thing, and it destroys people, and it destroys the society. And so how did you deal with it? You had to deal with it like a cancer. You know, if cancer can't be cured, what the medical profession does is they cut it out. They irradiate it. They kill it. Well, in a sense, that's what this Old Testament uh, wrath and harshness was, judgment upon sin. Once a person had given themselves over to demonic things, you couldn't get them delivered. Jesus hadn't come and set them free. And so it was like a cancer that had to be cut out. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, it was terrible judgment upon those people. And some people think, look at the harshness of God. But it was actually an act of mercy by God if you look at the whole human race as a whole. If God hadn't have dealt with that homosexuality and this bestiality and these terrible things that were going on, it would have so corrupted and polluted the entire human race that there literally would not have been a virgin left for Jesus to have been born into this world through. It was an act of mercy upon the human race as a whole, but it was harsh judgment upon those people. And people who don't understand this, people who don't know what the Word of God says, and so they're just going to cherry pick and take one scripture out of context and they're going to come out against all Christians and say, so if you believe the Bible standard of, uh, you know, against homosexuality, then that means that you're advocating what Leviticus 20.13 says and you just want to kill all homosexuals. That just shows their ignorance. Forgive me for being blunt, but I'm telling you, it's time for somebody to stand up and defend the Word of God. Jesus set us free from these things. The Apostle Paul said these exact words in Acts chapter 13, verse 39, that we can now be forgiven and cleansed from all things from which we could not be cleansed by the law of Moses. That's specifically talking about Leviticus 20, 13. We are now redeemed from the punishment. Christians are not advocating killing homosexuals. We are not advocating treating them ungodly and treating them bad and hating them. We're supposed to love all people. But you're supposed to love people enough that you tell them the truth. And it has, even though the punishment has now been placed upon Jesus and we are not advocating punishing homosexuals and coming against them and hating them, the sin hasn't changed. It's still wrong. It's detrimental to the individual and it's detrimental to society.
So I admit that there's a problem. How do you do this in a way that you really convey that you love those people and that you love them enough that you're telling them the truth? How do you convey your opposition to homosexuality in a way that still expresses love? And I admit it's not an easy thing to do, but I think it has to be done. You know, a few years back I did a whole series on this and I had people that had been partners with us for many, many years who themselves oppose homosexuality, but they think that Christians should never say it. They should never say that it's wrong. And there were people who were partners with me that quit being partners with me because they just didn't like me standing up and speaking the truth on these issues. And so, you know, I know, I understand what people are saying, but I'm telling you, uh, I love you. I'm not opposed to you. I'm not trying to go out and offend people, but I tell you, I love God more than I love you. And I really believe that this is something that the Lord impressed on me. He gave us a command to go teach them all things, to observe all of these things that are written in the Word. And I have a mandate from God to be obedient to Him and do what God says more than to listen to you and to listen to society. So at you know personal risk or whatever it is, I'm just going to speak the truth. If they kick me off the television, I'll kick off they can kick me off the television, but I'm not going to quit saying what the Word of God says because I love people and I'm telling you that homosexuality is a damaging lifestyle. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 17 and 18, it says, There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. Sodomite, of course, is referring back to the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were homosexuals and this is a terminology that has forever been associated with homosexuality is sodomite. You know, in the United States, nearly every um, state in the Union has sodomy laws. There are laws against sodomy, and that's what it's called. And sad to say, they aren't enforced, and today they're being overturned, and instead there's laws being passed that if you are against homosexuality, you can't say anything, that it's called hate speech. You know, in Canada, I ran into this same thing. They have very, very liberal laws, and, and I get in trouble anytime I say the things that I'm saying right now. And yet all I'm doing is quoting Scripture. If they're going to be upset with me, then you know what? They're going to have to be upset with Scripture. I don't think that they're to the place yet where they will ban the Word of God from being preached, but this is what Scripture says. There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord thy God for any vow, for even both of these are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Again, the word dog here in verse 18 is talking about a homosexual. This is a slur that God is speaking against homosexuals. Now again, He loves the people, but He hates this act of homosexuality. It is an absolute perversion. It is an abomination according to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. And God hates homosexuality. Not the homosexuals, but He hates homosexuality. It is not the way He made anybody to be. In 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 24, there, And there were also sodomites in the land, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. This is listing a king and talking about the things that he did that were wrong and it was saying that he allowed sodomy. This was speaking to a political or I guess, uh, well, it would be a 
appropriate to say a political figure, and because he allowed sodomy, sodomites in the land, he was rebuked for it. You know, today, at the time that I'm making this, the president, he's now come out and advocates homosexuality. He has refused for the Justice Department to, uh, you know, enforce anything that would be against homosexual unions and things like this, even though they aren't approved in all of the states and on and on. And he's now come out as a proponent for homosexuality and is trying to put penalties on people if they don't promote it and stuff. And so here is a political figure, this king, who was rebuked for allowing uh, sodomites. Obama has gone even further than that, not only allowing it, he is now promoting it and beginning to start strong-arming people to force you into compliance with this. You are going to be punished, penalized, if you don't hire homosexuals and all of these kind of things. I'm telling you, that's wrong. It's wrong. And Christians need to know that it's wrong. And Christians need to vote for people that will reflect a godly attitude. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. If this nation was to start living in a godly, righteous way, it would exalt this nation. The blessings of God would begin to start being manifest. God is not the one who's judging the United States of America, but when we tell God that we are rejecting your standards, we don't want your morality, we don't want prayer in our schools, it's not that God is punishing for that, but it's like, you know, here's a person standing with an umbrella and it's raining outside and this umbrella is keeping you dry. As long as you stay with the person with the umbrella, then you can stay dry. But if you walk out from under there and get wet, don't blame the person with the umbrella. You're the one that walked out. You're the one that walked away. Well, see, God has had a blessing over this nation. And God has blessed the United States as very few nations in the history of the world have ever been blessed. We have risen to a position of influence. We have succeeded and overcome adversaries that have fought against us. And we've done things that are only because of the blessing of God on this nation. And God has had like His blessing, this umbrella over us that has been blessing us. But now we are forsaking every godly thing. We're trying to make it a secular culture. We're getting rid of prayer. We don't want God in our culture. And what, when we do that, we walk out from under His blessings and protection. And we become vulnerable to the terrorist and to all of these things. It's not God's punishment upon us. God has a blessing on this nation. But as we walk further and further and further away from God, we get further and further away from His blessing and protection. His blessing is over those who will dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, as it says in Psalms chapter 91. And if we walk out from it, we are walking out from under these blessings. So again, 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 24, God blessed the kings who dealt with sodomy and got rid of the sodomites out of the land, and He punished the people who, who allowed it and even promoted homosexuality. Under the new covenant, God is not going to be punishing us directly, but there are still consequences. And if we start condoning and promoting homosexuality, we are walking out from under His blessings and protection. And I guarantee you, sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. 
And here are New Testament references. You know, some people think, well, man, you're just using all of these Old Testament things. In the New Testament, you know, God now, uh, sin is not an issue. And I agree that between us and God, once you enter into the covenant and once you make Jesus Christ your Lord, God forgives us of all sin, past, present, and even future sin. Sin is not an issue between God and those who accept Jesus as their Savior. But sin still has consequences and there are many, many New Testament scriptures that talk about the consequences of homosexuality and it puts it in a bad light and says we should not do it. Here's some of them. Romans chapter 1 verse 24. It says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now before I go any further, there's a number of scriptures here in Romans chapter 1, but let me just give you the background then in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's talking about the nearly too good to be true news about salvation, not based on your performance, but based on your acceptance of a Savior. And so Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 are these powerful statements about the grace of God. And of course, this would just infuriate the legalistic religious people of Paul's day and they'd say, but no, you got to tell people about the wrath of God. So verses 18 through 20 shows that you don't have to preach the wrath of God because there is this intuitive knowledge of God uh, against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of man. That's Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 20. And it says, the wrath of God is revealed. If you look this up, in the original language, it means that the wrath of God is already revealed, or it has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, because God has shown it unto them. This is saying that God put an intuitive knowledge of right and wrong inside of every person. Our conscience is what we call this. And it immediately condemns us or encourages us. It's where you get confidence from or condemnation from. And there is this intuitive knowledge of right and wrong on the inside of every person. This is what this is talking about. In verse 20 it says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, not vaguely seen, they are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse. There are people saying today, but I don't know that anything's wrong. God put an intuitive knowledge on the inside of every person. Now you can deaden yourself to it. That's what the rest of this chapter begins to talk about. Progressive steps that you take away. And every time you violate your conscience, you put a layer of insensitivity between your heart and between God. And this goes on to talk about how that you can literally become reprobate to where you no longer have a conscience. Your conscience is seared with a hot iron and you no longer are sensitive to God at all. But nobody started that way. Everybody knew uh, right and wrong. And you have to, over a period of time, intentionally harden your heart and eventually you can become stone to where you don't listen from God. But nobody started that way. Every person who's a homosexual knows at their heart level or knew at one time 
that this was absolutely wrong. But you can deaden yourself to it. You can reach a place to where you're reprobate, and that's what this begins to describe. In verse 20, or excuse me, verse 21, Romans 1, 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image, made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. This is talking about idolatry. And they profess themselves to be wise. You know, this is amazing to me that the people who are so ungodly and against everything the Bible stands for, they always proclaim that they've got the high ground intellectually, that they are now so sophisticated and so smart, and they have rejected the, uh, you know, the and the out-of-date values and truths of the Bible. And this is exactly what this is talking about. They profess themselves to be wise, but they become fools. And so they bow down to a piece of wood or a piece of stone, and that's supposed to be superior to believing in an almighty God. Now, many people listening to this today would say, well, I'm not an idol worshiper, and so I've still, you know, I'm an intellectual that I've rejected the Bible on intellectual things, and I'm not an idolater. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says that covetousness is idolatry. And there are people today who consider themselves to be very intellectual and very smart, and they have now substituted uh, materialism for bowing down to an idol. And that's just as stupid to think that money, things are going to make you happy. If you were objective at all, if you weren't prejudiced, if you weren't biased, if your heart wasn't hardened, all you got to do is read any magazine, to read any of these periodicals, any of the entertainment things about all of the people who are the movers and shakers, the people who are on the front of our magazines. They're millionaires. They're billionaires. They've got all of this, and yet they can't keep a marriage together. They can't do anything. It's just very clear. Jesus said that a man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things which he possesses. And yet the religion of this world is that it's all about get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on your can. And that is the theology of this world. And I'm telling you, it's idolatry. You have put the almighty buck ahead of almighty God, and it's not working. And you think that that's great wisdom. That's foolishness. It's just foolishness. In verse 24, it says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I tell you, this is, re you, this is as up-to-date as today's newspaper. There are people who worship the body who are all about sensual, sexual things. They don't care anything about God. It is self-gratification. This is written about us today. Here we are 2,000 years after this was written, and it's just as up-to-date as it was the day Paul wrote it. In verse 26, he says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Here's the Bible. Here's a New Testament scripture telling you what a vile affection is. And sadly, there are a lot of Christians who will sit there and not only tolerate, but promote homosexuality as we're now under a covenant of grace and we need to be inclusive and we need to just accept and promote 
homosexuality. No, it's a vile affection. The word vile here means it's bad. It's not good. This is not something to be advocated. This is not something to be promoted. This is not something to put into our grade schools and tell our kids that homosexuality is an accepted lifestyle. You know, President Obama has actually done this and has instituted things in the younger grades where they are promoting homosexuality as a positive, natural thing. That's wrong. It's a vile affection. And I don't apologize for saying that. I believe the Word of God more than I do the President of the United States, more than what the politically correct thing is. Homosexuality is a vile affection. It says, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Boy, these words are just pregnant with a lot of things. But this shows you that just nature itself, not only the animal nature, nature talking about creation as a whole, but on the inside of you, naturally, you just know that homosexuality is not the right thing. This is a perversion. It is a vile affection, and it says that even women change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the man, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one towards another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. Unseemly is a word that doesn't mean much to us today, but it means it's not right. It's ungodly. It is not good. It is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. You know, I'm using a little bit of interpretation here, but it's not much of interpretation. I'm just saying that this is talking about the consequences of homosexuality, and it says they received in themselves the recompense. The word recompense means the payment, the, the uh, you know, what you earn by doing something. There are consequences to sin. And I guarantee you, homosexuality causes all kinds of physical consequences. Of course, the big one is AIDS. And today, people would sit there and they would criticize me for, how dare you say that this uh, comes just through homosexuality? You can get it through, uh, you know, sh getting an infusion, some kind of a transfusion. It could come through a needle. It could come through a child being born. And they didn't do anything, and yet they got AIDS because their parents had it. And I admit that those things happen, but those are by far the minority, small percentage of people that receive it that way. Homosexuality is the number one producer of AIDS, and there is a consequence to acting outside of nature. It's not that God is putting AIDS on a homosexual. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that when you violate nature, natural laws, there are consequences. If you go out here and walk off of a building, gravity, natural law, is going to kill you. If you start having sex with the same sex, a person of the same sex, there are consequences to this. It violates natural laws, and there are physical consequences. And not only homosexuality, but anytime you start getting outside of the marriage relationship, you're opening yourself up to all kinds of sexually transmitted diseases, and all of these things, and I'm telling you, if you just had some morality, it would stop a lot of this stuff. You know, I go to Uganda a lot. And in Uganda, before I started going over there, I've had people that have been there for a long time tell me that the AIDS rate used to be over 80% of the population used to have AIDS. I think it was approaching 90%. And did you know that uh, President Museveni and his wife 
they're Christians, they're outspoken Christians, and when you drive around Uganda, they will have billboards up there about love your wife, be faithful to your mate. They advocate heterosexual relationships and fidelity, staying faithful to your mate. And there's multiple things going on, but the age rate in Uganda has decreased from around 80 to 90 percent down to less than 6 percent. And you know, it is not because they're giving out condoms. It's not because they're doing all of these natural things and still promoting an immoral, ungodly lifestyle. They have done it from promoting morality and standing up for morality. And Uganda has taken a stand for morality and it has brought the age rate from 80 to 90 percent down to 6 percent. I'm telling you, that's the way that it ought to be done. Instead of going into high schools and just assuming that young people are going to be immoral and they're going to have sexual relationships and so let's just teach them how to protect themselves. Man, if you were to go in and teach abstinence, if you were to teach that you're supposed to be single and not shack up with the person until it's time to get married and then when you get married, you make a commitment to them for life until death do us part. And if we were to just advocate biblical morality, that would stop all of the AIDS Maybe not all of it because there's already so many people infected and it could be passed on through a transfusion or through a baby being born, but it would stop the vast majority of it and eventually we would rid ourselves of this problem by preaching morality. But you won't find people do that. That's the most effective way of dealing with it. That is the quickest way. That's got the biggest uh, response. It could produce response quicker than anything else. But you won't find people do that because that might be, uh, you know, politically incorrect. You might offend these people. These people who are living like animals and sleeping with anybody and everybody and doing all of these immoral things, they could feel condemned over it. And so just allow people to continue to die. Allow people to continue to get all the sexually transmitted diseases. I'm telling you, that's not love. I'm not mean. I'm not mad at anybody. I love people. I know, again, there's people going to judge me and I, I can't change your judgment regardless of what you do. But I'm telling you, I'm saying these things to help you. There are some of you that are trying to get over these problems in some other way. The answer is Jesus, to just repent and to humble yourself, receive forgiveness. Then you can receive healing and deliverance and this would solve the problem and it would work a thousand times better than any government program that is going to still promote immorality and yet try and deal with the consequences. Man, it's just crazy. If you, you reap what you sow, if you're out here re sowing immorality and sowing an ungodly lifestyle, if you are going against nature, as this says, then you are going to receive in yourself the due recompense of those actions. There are consequences when you act ungodly. God loves you. God's not punishing you. But when you get outside of what God created things to be, there are consequences to actions like that. And in verse 28 it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. You know, this list is just describing our society today. Look at this. Being filled with all unrighteousness. The next thing it says, fornication. 
Fornication, you know, there used to be laws on the books against fornication, against adultery. And I guess they maybe still are on the books, but nobody would enforce them today. I mean, fornication has become accepted. Man, I take no joy in saying that, but our movies, our novels, our sitcoms, just near anything you watch on television or movies promotes fornication. It's, it's the norm. And yet it's not the norm in regular society, but it's the norm in our, in our movies, in our entertainment realm. And because more people are influenced by that than they are by the Word of God, it's becoming more and more a norm in society. And the next thing it lists is wickedness. Man, that's in, in uh, epidemic proportions. Covetousness, which the Bible says in Colossians 3, 5, is idolatry. Maliciousness. Maliciousness just means that you want to hurt people. You're angry and bitter. I think we've got more angry and bitter people today than have ever existed from my understanding. Full of envy, murder. Well, think about this. Envy, jealousy, wanting to be like everybody else, coveting, wanting all of these things. Murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God despiteful, proud. Man, I tell you what, we've got people today, I am the greatest in proclaiming themselves. And I mean, used to, even if you thought you were the greatest, it wasn't popular to say it. You were supposed to have some degree of humility. But nowadays, people just, man, they, they uh, are proud of their pride. They promote it. They're boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Man, I don't know how anybody could look at our society today and not feel like we have to be living in these things that the Bible is talking about right here. Without understanding, covenant breakers. Boy, that is rampant in our society. Without natural affection. You know what that's talking about? In other words, homosexuality. And look at this list. This is right down at the very end of the list. Without natural affection, implacable unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Again, there's people today saying, oh, I have no conviction about this whatsoever. It's a lie. They, unless they're reprobate. They at one time were convicted about it. Nobody becomes reprobate. Nobody is born reprobate. You can harden yourself and sear your conscience but unless they are already past that point of no return, unless they've already become reprobate, it's a lie. They know in themselves, this is what it's saying, that knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That's what the Bible says. And you put that together with Romans 1:18, where it says that He's already revealed Himself from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. The truth is people know these things are wrong. Now we could talk about all of them, but I'm just focusing on homosexuality here. Homosexuals know it's wrong, and that's why they are so insistent on trying to gain approval from everybody. It's because their own heart is condemning them, and they use this approval from other people to sear their conscience, to harden their heart, and to overcome the conviction that's in their own heart. I was holding a Bible study in uh, Vietnam back when I was 18, 19 years old. And I didn't know very much about the Word. And anyway, I was doing this Bible study. A man walked in. Turns out he was a Princeton graduate. He was a super intellectual. 
And he was actually more grounded in his stuff than I was in the Bible at that time. And so he came in, asked me these questions, made a fool of me, and my Bible study walked out with him. There was like six or seven people, and they all left with this guy. And I was just sitting there saying, God, what could I have done? Please give me another chance. How could I reach these people? And while I was praying, this atheist, he claimed to be an atheist, an intellectual atheist. He walked back in and he sat down and he says, I want what you have. And I was able to lead this man to the Lord. And the, and the reason that he wanted what I had is because he says, my whole life is based on an argument. And he says, I out-argued you. Intellectually, I showed you to be a fool. And yet, you still have something that is beyond intellect. He says, my whole life is based on an argument. If somebody out-argued me the way I did you, I'd kill myself. I want what you've got. And as I talked to the guy and led him to the Lord, did you know at a heart level, he knew that there was a God the whole time. He was claiming to be an atheist. And his arguments at that time were better than my arguments. But in his heart, just like these verses saying, God knew they're without excuse. And every homosexual, well, I don't care what they say. According to the Word of God, they know it's wrong. They know that this is perversion. This isn't right, and they know better. And you just need to quit buying into these lies that they're putting forth. That, oh, I have no conviction. This is normal. This is perfect. I feel great about this. The only way that they could say that in a pure conscience is if they're already reprobate and if God has just withdrawn from them and let them go. Let me share another passage of Scripture with you over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this is talking about the end times. It's talking about the Antichrist. And it says in Romans chapter 2, I mean, excuse me, this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed. The word wicked here is capitalized. It's talking about a person, the Antichrist, be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. That's important. Look at that verse 10. The reason that they are going to perish is because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And in verse uh, 11 it says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That verse 11 talks about God sending a strong delusion so that people should believe a lie. And it's sandwiched in between two verses that talked about the reason it happened was because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. John chapter 17, verse 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And there's other scriptures that say that same thing. This is talking about that they wouldn't accept the word of God and because of that, there will come a strong delusion that they will believe a lie. And you know, I'm, I don't know this for certain. I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord. But it appears to me that we're living in that time. I don't understand how people 
could sit there and promote such things as homosexuality, when nature itself and all of these other scriptures I've used, even nature itself, in their heart they know it's wrong, and yet they are pre presenting it, promoting it, punishing anybody who won't accept it and also promote homosexuality. I don't understand how people could do that. I, I don't even understand how the unbelievers could do it, but I especially don't understand how a Christian could advocate this position and promote these things. And the only answer I have is just like this. Because they didn't receive a love of the truth, because they didn't love the Word of God, then they are under a strong delusion that they are believing a lie. And there are many, many Christians that are under this strong delusion. And they're believing lies because they didn't embrace the Word of God. I know what I'm saying is challenging many of your uh, positions. You go to churches, you are associated with people that they may not personally advocate homosexuality, but they think it's a person's choice and that there are some people that are born this way and that you shouldn't ever criticize it and we ought to accept it and not only accept it, but we ought to promote it. And anybody who doesn't actually promote and agree with homosexuality, we need to brand them as hate mongers and come out against them. And there are Christians that adopt that. I can't understand that unless it's because you didn't love the Word of God. Because the Word of God doesn't get in the way of what you believe. You have just chosen to believe this strong delusion, this lie that is going forth today. And I tell you, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Let me read some other scriptures to you here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. This is for those of you that believe only the Old Testament forbid homosexuality. In the New Testament, we're supposed to love everybody and everything's good. We're living under grace and so you can just embrace and promote homosexuality. Here's New Testament scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of them themselves with mankind. You know, that word in the King James could be interpreted a lot of different ways, but that same word uh, is... Let me just go on and continue reading. Verse 10, it says, Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then the next verse says, Such were some of you but you are sanctified, but you are washed, but you are cleansed in the name of the Lord. And so this is saying that people who haven't repented of these things, this, you know, you could, if you wanted to be just real technical, every one of us would fall into a list of something done right here. There's none of us that have lived perfectly. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but we can be forgiven. The next verse, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says all of sin comes short of the glory of God. But the next verse says being justified freely by His grace. And so all of us have sinned. All of us are guilty of something in this list, but we can be forgiven. But you can't be forgiven of it if you are still promoting it and if you haven't repented of it and if you don't think that it's wrong, if you're actually advocating it. And one of these things right here where it says abusers of themselves with mankind, that Greek word, and I'm not going to try and pronounce it, but it uh, was translated abusers of themselves with mankind. It was only used one other time in the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. I'll read that in just a minute. 
and it was translated for them that defile themselves with mankind. The NIV renders both of these words, the same word in both of these instances uh, where it says homosexual offenders is what the NIV translates this as. And it's what it's talking about. So when it's talking about these things, people who do this will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now you can if you repent of it and receive forgiveness. But when it says abusers of themselves with mankind, that's talking about homosexual offenders. Unless a person repents of that and receives that forgiveness and trusts Jesus for their salvation, you aren't going to heaven. And I know that this is politically incorrect. I actually saw one of the major Christian leaders on a talk show, an interview type show, and they just said, you know, so do you believe that Christians are the only ones that are going to heaven? Do you believe that there are going to be good people from all of these different religions and stuff that still go to heaven? And this person just caved and basically said, yes, I believe good people will go. And yet Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. He also said in uh, Acts chapter 4, I believe it's verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby they must be saved. And you could just go on and on. I guarantee you, only people who have put faith in Jesus are going to heaven. And I know that that's politically incorrect. And if you talk about sin and people not going to heaven and that there's a hell, that's unpopular. There's a lot of Christians today that won't even admit that there is a hell. But there is a hell. It's what the Bible teaches. I've got another teaching on that. Here's that scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. It says, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. Again, that is talking about homosexuality. The NIV translates it homosexual offenders. So those that defile themselves with mankind for man-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So this is, these are New Testament scriptures. I've already used a bunch of them in Romans chapter 1. And then I use these scriptures here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. They're all talking against homosexuality. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. It's talking about how that the, the Lord brought destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, "...in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overflow, making them an example unto those that, should, uh, those that after should live ungodly." So this is saying in the New Testament that the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, the destruction, the judgment of God upon homosexuals is an example for us who would live ungodly. Being a homosexual is an ungodly relationship. It is not like God. And I know that there's people just... This has become so politically incorrect that for me to say this, there are people that just cringe. I'm not saying these things out of hate. I'm saying I love those people. I want to see them delivered just like I want to see people delivered who are adulterers, who are liars, who are thieves, who are murderers. I don't hate those people. 
I know people who have murdered other people and have been born again, and they are just radiating the love of God. I've met many of those people. I can think of one person in particular in the UK who mu murdered multiple people and now is one of the most godly examples I've ever seen. But I guarantee you, he'd be the first one to tell you that murder was wrong. I'm, I love people who murder other people. I love people who steal. I love people who commit adultery. I love people who lie. I love people who do all of these sins. But I don't love what they do and I love them enough that I'll tell them that it's wrong. And it's wrong for you. It's hurting other people. It's hurting society. Man, if we didn't lie and steal and murder and do these things, just think of all of the money that could be saved and channeled towards something good instead of police and prisons and all of this kind of stuff. Those things damage society. They're wrong. And likewise, homosexuality is wrong. It hurts the person and it hurts society. It is not a positive thing. And so this is what he's talking about. It's ungodly and, and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah stands as a witness on what God thinks about homosexuality. In Jude chapter 1 verse 7 it says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Again, for anybody who believes the Word of God, you cannot accept and promote homosexuality. You can accept homosexuals. You can love them. You can reach out to them and tell them the truth. Love them enough that you tell them the truth. But you cannot tolerate and promote homosexuality. But sadly, there's a lot of people that the Word of God isn't that important to them and that they are more moved by what, you know, this survey says, what this stat says. We have people today just making these blanket statements like, you know, evolution is a fact. It's a proven fact. It is not a proven fact. But there's people that will just take that. And so you have to counter that with these secular things that disprove evolution. So what I'm going to begin to do right here is to deal with some things that aren't religious. They aren't based on scripture, but nonetheless, they show that homosexuality is not a positive thing. So here are some statistics. Uh, Bell and Weinberg did a classic study on male and female homosexuality. This is entitled uh, A.P. Bell and M.S. Weinberger, and the title of the book was Homosexuality, A Study of Diversity Among Men and Women. And here's their conclusions that they found. They found that 43% of white male homosexuals had sex with 500 or more partners in a lifetime. Now that's 43%, that's nearly 50%, and 28% of those had sexual relationships with 1,000 or more sex partners in a lifetime. Now, you know, if you didn't already have a prejudice, and if you weren't biased, if you were just looking, you know, there, even our court system today, which is not I, I believe, function in a totally godly manner. It has already become very ungodly and it's promoting and legislating standards that are contrary to the Bible. But as bad as things are, if you were to have a custody battle between two people over their children, and if the judge saw that you had over 500 sexual partners 
that you were shacking up with and having a relationship with are 1,000. I guarantee you there isn't a judge, not even our corrupt judges, not even our liberal judges today would look at that as a positive environment for a child to be in and they would say this is not good, this is perverse and they would rule against a person if you could prove that they had 500 plus sexual partners in a lifetime. That's not good. This is not normal. This is not acceptable. And nearly 50% of all white male homosexuals have at least 500 on up to 1,000 sexual partners in a lifetime. Among heterosexuals, 80% remain faithful for five years. Now that's not good. It should be 100%, but compared to homosexuals, where up to 43% had 500 sexual encounters, etc., you can see here that there is a huge disparity. So one of the things that the homosexual community will do is say it is just a normal relationship. It's just as committed, it's just as much love as a heterosexual relationship. The statistics do not bear that out. Plus, did you know that among the homosexual community that says they are in a committed relationship, did you know that the statistics show, these studies that I'm quoting from, show that among committed homosexual couples, they still have three to five sexual partners in a year's time. So when they're saying a committed relationship, what they mean by committed isn't what we mean by committed. It, it's... It's, uh, I don't know, it's just lies. It's deception. When they talk about commitment, there is no commitment. Once you break this barrier and you move into homosexuality, which is totally ungodly, it is totally immoral, once you cross that threshold and you allow that, well, then I guarantee you fidelity among partners is not a priority. And I know some of you think, man, I'm just trashing homosexual. I'm telling you, this is what this study said about them. Among heterosexuals, 80% are faithful to their mate uh, in five years. In 10 years, 66% say that they are faithful to their mate and have not uh, committed adultery. In 15 years, 57% say that they remain faithful. In 20 years of marriage, 50% of heterosexual couples say that they are faithful to their mate. They haven't had an extramarital affair. Now that's terrible, I think. But compare that to homosexuals. There's only 5% of homosexuals who say that they are faithful to their mate now, I hate to even use that terminology, but faithful to this partner after, five, after 20 years. So another, here's another way of saying that, that among heterosexuals, the commitment level, the fidelity, the harmony, the union, what the Bible teaches love and respect in marriage is 10 times greater among heterosexuals than it is homosexuals. Homosexuals, it is not natural. It is a perversion and it is detrimental. It does not help fidelity to your mate if you are a homosexual. Look at some of the mental and the health risks that go along with this. It says a study in the United States, or excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, in the United Kingdom, a study of the United Kingdom has revealed that homosexuals are 50% more likely to suffer from depression 
and engage in substance abuse than the rest of the population. That, that was a health24.com report. Now, I'll admit that some of these stats that I'm using are, say, five or, or even as much as 10 years old, but I don't think anybody would argue that things are getting better. If anything, they're getting worse the more that we promote these things. But this, this is the health24.com report that they are 50% more likely to suffer from depression and substance abuse. Did you know, again, if people were objective, if people really cared about people, which they don't, what they're doing is they're promoting an agenda. They've got an agenda. They are uh, prejudiced and they are trying to promote and get something across. And I personally, this is my personal belief that it's an anti-Christ spirit. It's a demonic motivation to just reject the Bible, to reject its standards, to throw off all restraints so that they can just indulge and do everything without feeling any condemnation over it. They are motivated. They have a prejudice against this. If they weren't prejudiced and if they just approached things uh, objectively, let's say, for instance, that there was some food that you ate, that if you ate it, you were going to be 50% more depressed than people that don't eat it and it's going to cause substance abuse. You know, uh, the mayor of New York City has started banding sugar and certain kind of sodas, and they're, they're getting into people's lives, telling them what they can and can't eat. And I mean, they have minuscule impact on people. This is something that you, if you commit homosexuality, you are 50% statistically more likely to be depressed and to have substance abuse. If we were honest... And if we weren't prejudiced, I guarantee you we would say that this is a detrimental um, lifestyle. It's not healthy. It hurts you. But see, people don't want to say that because they aren't motivated by what's really good for the person. They are motivated by an agenda that they've got, a spirit of Antichrist that wants to throw off the restraints of the Bible and let's quit being restricted and dominated by these archaic standards of morality. You may disagree with that, but I really believe it. It says, after analyzing 25 earlier studies on sexual orientation and mental health, researchers in a study published in the medical journal BMC Psychiatry also found that the risk of suicide jumped over 200% if an individual had engaged in homosexual lifestyle. Again, if we were going to be honest, and I'm trying to be honest, I'm saying these things against homosexuality because I am honest. Now, I'm saying I love you and I don't want to see people commit suicide and be 50% more given to substance abuse and depression. If you commit homosexuality, you are twice as likely to commit suicide as a heterosexual. That right there shows you that there is something detrimental about this lifestyle. Now, again, there are people who are homosexuals that would twist these things and say what that means is it's because we aren't accepted because we're so ostracized and criticized that, um, you know, that's what causes this suicide rate. But again, homosexuality, anybody who is observing can recognize that homosexuality has made wide gains. It is now being promoted. There are sexual un homosexual unions being legalized in many states and yet, the suicide rate hasn't gone down among homosexuals. It continues to climb. It doesn't matter how much acceptance you give it. 
I think that that is a wrong way to interpret these statistics. It is the act of homosexuality and the guilt and condemnation that comes from your own conscience knowing that you are violating nature that causes this increased uh, risk of suicide. Twice as likely to commit suicide among homosexuals. Lesbian, or excuse me, lifespan is reduced on average by 20 years among homosexuals because of depression, because of suicide that is uh, the result of depression often, and because of AIDS and because of sexually transmitted diseases, etc. But it takes 20 years off of the average homosexual's life. Did you know in contrast to that, cigarette smoking takes an average of seven years off of a person's life. And yet the Surgeon General of the United States many decades ago put out this warning on all cigarette uh, things. It's dictated by law that you have to say this is the Surgeon General has determined that cigarette smoking is damaging to your health. And that only takes an average of seven years off of your life. If we were going to be honest, there ought to be a warning label on homosexuality that says this is detrimental. We do it for cigarettes, but we won't do it for homosexuality because that is politically incorrect and we might make somebody feel condemned. Well, don't you think that warning that cigarette smoking could damage your health and take seven years off of your life? Somebody may not like that, and yet they still do it. I'm telling you, it's hypocritical. And people will sit there and criticize me and criticize people who stand for what the Bible says and say, well, boy, you're hypocritical and you're condemning. I tell you, it's, I believe it's the secular world that is hypocritical when they are sitting here taking a stand against sodas and against, uh, you know, certain types of food and against cigarettes, which I'm not saying that those things are right and that we ought to uh, just take all restraints off of that. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's hypocritical to be restrictive in some areas and then not be restrictive when it comes to homosexuality because the statistics show that it takes 20 years off of your life. Those of you who are leaning towards homosexuality and you're thinking that it's just totally normal and natural, you're either going to have to call me a liar and say that these statistics aren't correct, which I've given you the source form and stuff. You can go research it. But the average lifespan of a homosexual is 20 years less than its heterosexual partner or counterpart. That's amazing. Homosexuals in the United States and Denmark, the latter of which is acknowledged to be highly tolerant of homosexuality, both die on average in their early 50s or in their 40s if AIDS is the cause of death. The average age for all residents in either country ranges from the mid to upper 70s. And of course, again, this is a statistic that is a little bit out of date. That's from the American Family News Network, and I believe it's even increasing. So it's on average about 20 years different. Here's another stat. Homosexual and lesbian couples experience by far the greatest levels of intimate partner violence compared with married couples as well as cohabiting heterosexual couples. It is 300 times greater Spousal abuse is 300 times greater among homosexual men and 44 times greater among lesbians than traditional married couples. And that is from the Bureau of Justice Statistics Special Report, January 31st, 2002. Boy, that's amazing. Again, if we were going to be objective, I think that we would have to say that homosexuality is a detrimental lifestyle 
and it's hurting people. You know, here's, here's some uh, graphs that show some of those points that I was just making. Among lesbians, 11.4% of lesbians uh, report spousal abuse. Among married women, it's 0.26 of 1% report spousal abuse. That's 44 times greater among lesbians. Among uh, homosexual men, 15.4% of homosexual men report that they were abused by their spouse. Among married men, heterosexual men, it's 0.05%, 300 times greater. And on and on and on we could go. Again, I've put the emphasis on what the Word of God has to say because to me, that's the main thing. But for those of you who need stats, you're prone to greater suicide risk, greater depression, greater substance abuse, spousal abuse, and the fidelity among homosexuals is nearly non-existent. You may have somebody that you could claim is an exception to this and that they've been faithful to each other for years, but they are an anomaly that is not normal. And even though heterosexuals, our morality has gone down among traditional marriages so that only 50% of married couples are faithful to their mate beyond 20 years. And I think that that's terrible. That still is huge, over 10 times as much fidelity as among homosexual people. So I'm telling you, if you are being lulled, drawn into a homosexual lifestyle, you ought to consider some of these things. You're going to take on an average 20 years off of your life. You're going to increase your risk of depression and substance abuse. You are going to increase dramatically, if you're a man, 300 times as likely to have spousal abuse as before. And as far as getting a partner that would be committed to you, you are going to be greatly, greatly hindered. I mean, 10 times worse among homosexuals with uh, their spousal abuse as it is among heterosexual. If you are going to be honest and objective, you need to take these things into consideration. And so from a scriptural standpoint, we know it's wrong. From a statistical standpoint, from any standpoint, really, it's just wrong. Even if you go to these countries like Denmark and the Netherlands and some of these that have actually promoted, allowed and promoted homosexuality, you will find out that there's very few of the people that are taking these civil unions because they aren't about really being committed to a partner. They just want the acceptance, the approval. They might want some of the material benefits that go along with it. But it is not a positive lifestyle. And I pray that you understand and take this in the way it was intended. I know some people are going to think I'm a homophobic and I hate them. I don't hate you. I'm telling you the truth because I love you.